That is who you are, God. You are the way maker, which means whatever it is you're facing today and you're trying to find a way through it, ours is a God who will lead you through it. Father, we love you today. We thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you for this great day, God. The Bible tells us that this is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, would you minister to us today? We sing that you are the way maker, but the truth is, God, there are so many things about you still left to understand, to discern, to follow. Father, as we dig into the Old Testament in this series, would you continue to teach us? Thank you for week one of Red Sea Rules last week. Thank you for what you're doing today throughout the movement, and we pray that you would continue to teach us. God, help us get our theology right as we lean into the God that you are, not the God that we wish you were, not the God that we create in our own imagination, but who you really are. We love you. We are here. Your servants have gathered. Speak, for we are listening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of those who love God said together, amen and amen. Give him some praise. You may be seated. So thrilled that you are here today. I'm just curious. We got any cheerful givers in the house of the Lord today? Yeah, those who have realized the best thing we can do with our resources is to honor God with a portion of what he has given to us. That is not the word from this man. That is the word from Scripture. They're going to leave this slide up there for you to consider the ways in which you can sow into this ministry. But did you know that the Bible says this? On the first day, everybody say first day. Why? Because it's important. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. This is the, the, the scriptural teaching way to support the ministry of the church. And so for all of you who sow in to this church on behalf of, of Christ himself and the entire church, thank you so very much. This week, we... Um, we prayed over Pastor Moses, our Kenya campus pastor. He's been here for like a month. We sent him back uh, to finish up some schooling at Indiana Wesley uh, University in Indianapolis, and now he's going back to Kenya. And do you know that your tithes go to fund a campus in Kenya and a hope center where we are serving people who are literally dying spiritually and physically of hopelessness, but you are making a difference in the world through that ministry. Did you know that 54 people accepted Jesus Christ two weeks ago up in here and at the campuses? <laughs> Children are being discipled. Students are being discipled. Young adults are being discipled. And it's all because you are so very generous. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Everybody say October 31st. October 31st. What, what day is that? Halloween. Guess what? We are going to baptize people on Halloween this year. Oh, yes, we are. Oh, yes, we are. And so I get this question every year. Pastor, can Christians celebrate Halloween? Listen, beloved, it was the church's day before the culture stole it. Did you know this? Halloween comes from All Hallowed Eve. It's when the early church celebrated the saints in the faith 
And then, of course, you know, culture got it and darkness entered into the story. But it really is our day in the first place. So if you accepted Christ a couple weeks ago, or you, you just need to get baptized, you've never been baptized, or you got baptized as a kid and it didn't mean anything to you and you don't remember it, October 31st, after both worship celebrations, we are going to baptize you. I think they'll throw a QR code up there. You pull out your phone, you can register right now if you would like. Cannot wait to do that. Um, hey, uh, I meant to bring a mug out here. I left it. But they're in. You folks have been going bonkers over the mugs. Ah, when are the mugs coming? Well, they've been on back order. We have them now. They're in the resource center. I meant to lay one right there. And I uh, just, want, just wanted you to know, you know, early bird gets the worm. If you want one, go check that out in the resource center. Hey, um, if you follow uh, me or uh, Pastor Clayton online, you know that he is in the house today. And as I've been saying all over the place, he's not really a guest anymore. He's not really a guest. He, 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 he's become a lot like Pastor Mike Bro. He's just become a teaching pastor here at New Hope Church. And uh, he is one of the most amazing communicators on the planet. I have heard him preach so many times. I've never heard a bad message. Uh, pastor Clayton is married to Shari King. She's taught here as well. She's a theologian. Uh, they have two beautiful boys. He leads Clayton King Ministries. He's also a pastor at New Spring Church in South Carolina. And uh, more than all of that, because I, I don't have to let you know he's a good teacher. If you've heard him, you, you're ready to hear it today. And if you haven't heard him, five minutes in, you will be dialed in and engaged. Here's, here's what I can tell you, though, that you don't know. He is one of the most authentic, encouraging brothers I know. He has become a dear dear friend of mine. We text, we talk on a regular basis. He is the most encouraging brother in the faith, one of the most humble brothers in the faith, and he has become a dear, I mean a dear friend of mine. And so I've always been excited when he teaches here, but uh, one of the reasons God brought him is not just to bless the movement, but God has brought him to really become a good friend of mine. I love this brother, and I love that uh, we get to share him together for the cause of Christ. So do what you do. Give honor where honors do. In fact, the Bible says give double honor for those who handle the word of the Lord, and this brother can handle it. Welcome, my friend, Pastor Clayton King, to the house today. It is great to be back home among my people here at New Hope. I just wanna go ahead and tell you from the very beginning, I don't typically bring water out with me, but I have brought some water out because I, for the first time in 10 years, have crazy allergies. Do any of you struggle with this? I haven't had allergies in 10 years, so if my voice kinda goes crazy, I've got my beautiful Fiji water. It's designer water. It was backstage. It comes from a volcanic aquifer in the South Pacific. It tastes like Polynesia. I can't, I may just, I may have a sip right now just because I can. Come on, somebody. It's great to be back in the house. I always love getting to see Pastor Benji. He has also become a dear and trusted friend of mine. I wanted to greet you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, today from my wife, Shari. Uh, while I'm preaching right now, this is a big moment for me. I didn't say this in our first gathering, but literally in this very moment, my 19-year-old son, Jacob, is preaching to our students at the church where I'm a pastor at New Spring, 
in South Carolina. Uh, he has been called to preach. He's in college now, uh, majoring in ministry. And I could not be more, more happy. I could not be more proud. I have cried for a solid six weeks because he moved away to college this fall. He moved six miles from home. And I am struggling, y'all. So pray for your brother as I go through. My wife hasn't cried yet. I think she's like, yeah, I carried that big kid and gave birth to him and fed him and stuff. And all you did was show up and hug him and then like, yeah, peace out. So anyway, we, uh, my wife and I uh, are, are blessed to be uh, parents of two teenage boys. My oldest son, of course, is in ministry now. My youngest son, Jojo, plays football at T.L. Hannah High School. You have no idea what that is, but if you saw the movie Radio, with Cuba Gooding Jr., that's a real story that happened at T.L. Hannah. And if you saw the movie Black Panther, the Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman, is a graduate of T.L. Hannah. Now, uh, so I live two miles from T.L. Hannah, and my son's 10th grade JV football team, of which he is a starter, has uh, had a real tough season uh, so far in the first six games. They've outscored their opponents 290 to six. So I'm thanking God for his favor on their team. Speaking of favor on teams, how about that NC State Wolfpack last weekend putting the hurt on my Clemson Tigers? I just want you to know, I'm a Clemson Tiger fan, but I love Jesus more than I love college football, so I ain't mad about it. I love y'all, in Jesus' name. I love y'all. Are y'all ready for some preaching? Because I'm ready to go. I've had two cups of coffee and two decongestants this morning. So I am fired up. We're gonna be in Exodus. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to join me there at all of our campuses, Exodus chapter 14. And we are in this amazing series. I told Pastor Benji, it was just brilliant the way this series came together and the way that the Lord spoke to Pastor Benji about it. Red Sea Rules. So let me just dive in and tell you, I think... The church in America needs a better theology of pain, suffering, and weakness. We need to learn how to follow God when things are hard. We need to learn to continue pursuing Jesus and the things of Christ even when we are not getting what we pray for in the manner or the time period in which we pray for it. And one thing I love about this series is that this series gets us to a place where we can look at the children of Israel and we can see God's deliverance, but we can also unpack these rules and we can see that God's deliverance did not come in the time or in the way that Israel had probably expected it to come. So I wanna give you rule number two today. This is rule number two of the Red Sea rules. It's going to be up behind me. And it's simply this, God's past faithfulness is our anchor for future deliverance. God's past faithfulness is our anchor for future deliverance. In other words, when the bottom falls out of your life, when things are not going as planned, when the pandemic that we'd all hoped would be over in six weeks is now 18 months strong and counting, when inflation is skyrocketing, 
when everybody has an opinion and a Facebook feed in which to share it, when everybody wants to divide and polarize over masks and vaccines and politics and elections, I'm about to preach. We, looking at the unpredictability of our day, have two options. We can look at the world around us and at times think it feels like it's burning down. It looks like there's no hope on the horizon. I don't know what we're gonna do. Where is God? We can look at this world and we can get hysterical. Option two, better option. We can look at the world around us and all the unpredictability and all of the unrest and the division. And instead of getting hysterical, we can choose to get historical and we can open up the word of God and we can read about all of the women and the men that ever followed God and we can take encouragement knowing that nobody who has ever followed God has had an easy road to walk. We can look at their stories and we can see how their lives fell apart. We can see how enemies triumphed over them. We can see how they got frustrated and confused with God. We can read about it in the pages of the Bible and we can get historical and tell ourselves just because things are bad right now doesn't mean they'll always be this way. God is a God who keeps his promises and his past faithfulness is gonna anchor me right now as I look for his future deliverance. So I encourage you, church, when you are tempted to get hysterical, just get historical. Repeat, rehearse, remember, and review all the times in Scripture that the people of God had to go back and look at some Red Sea rules. All right, I'm fired up. I'm ready to preach. I got about an hour's worth of material and I got about 30 minutes worth of time. So can y'all listen twice as fast as you normally do? We're gonna be in Exodus chapter 14. Let me start you in verse four. I wanna show you what God had to say just mere moments before the miracle took place. In verse four, it says, God speaking, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. I wanna point out what God wanted was not just for the Israelites to know his glory. He wanted the Egyptians to know his glory. He wanted the false gods of the Egyptians to be shown as the frauds that they were. He wanted Pharaoh, who claimed to be a divinity, to come face to face with a real God who had real power to do real miracles. God was not only concerned with Israel, God was concerned with the nations. And so when we look back at the story of God delivering Israel out of Egypt, 400 plus years of bondage, 400 plus years of slavery, 10 plagues, and now they are literally caught between Pharaoh's army and an uncrossable ocean called the Red Sea. 
God reveals himself in the passage we're going to read and he shows us some things today that we can learn from his past faithfulness then. If you are looking for an anchor for your life right now, look at God's past faithfulness. Look at his past provision. That is an indicator not only of what God does, that's an indicator of who God is. If you wanna know what somebody's gonna do in the future, just look at what they've done in the past. I'm gonna tell you right now, my wife is an open book. I know she gotta get eight hours of sleep a night. And if she does not, things will not go well for us. I know that if she doesn't get eight hours of sleep, then I'm gonna have to mitigate some disaster in the house. I study her, I know that my wife loves going outside. So if my wife is in a bad mood or she's stressed out, I will encourage her, Shari, go outside and ride your bike. Let's go take the dog for a walk. Let's go outside and get some sunshine. I can predict my wife's future activity based on what I've seen from her in 24 years of a relationship. And she's the same way with me. So one of the reasons why we need to be studying the scriptures and spending more time flipping pages than scrolling screens is so that we can see who God is, what he's like, and what he does. Do not tell me that God doesn't talk to you. Do not tell me that God doesn't answer your prayers. Do not tell me that God is silent when you spend three hours a day on social media and you're lucky to spend three minutes a day in the Word of God. God's talking. We can know what he's like, but we have to study his past faithfulness. This is a Red Sea rule. So when you see his past faithfulness, that can anchor you for his future deliverance. So let's look at some scripture here. I wanna take some time and I want to read a lengthy portion of scripture so that we can honor the word of God and elevate this scripture and not miss exactly what God did when he delivered them from Pharaoh. This will start in Exodus 14, 15. The scriptures will be there for you. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. As for me, God said, I am going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going in front of the Israelite forces moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and the Israelite forces. There was a cloud and darkness. It lit up the night and neither group came near the other one all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided 
And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. The Egyptians set out in pursuit, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen. They went into the sea after them. During the morning watch, the Lord looked down at the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud. And he threw the Egyptian forces into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back on the Egyptians, their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant, Moses. God did this for Israel. God did this for Egypt. God did this for us. God did this for his own glory. God had been promising deliverance. The Israelites had been in bondage for over 400 years. They had prayed, they had waited, they had probably been frustrated. They were treated as less than human by the Pharaoh and the taskmasters. And then, all of a sudden, all of God's promises, all of their prayers, the plan began to unfold right up until the moment that the waters were parted. What does this mean for us? I hope you write this down. I hope you write this down. Because for us, I'm just gonna tell you, I'm not a patient person. I don't like to wait. I hate waiting. I hate being late. If I'm not 30 minutes early, I think I'm late. Any of y'all know somebody like that? You're lucky to know someone like that in your life. Because you know what we do? We keep everybody else on task, right? I am the most impatient person. Today, I've got to drive four and a half hours home. They're working on I-85 the minute you cross into South Carolina. It's like purgatory. Don't even have to be Catholic. And you go to purgatory. They've, I hate waiting. I hate it. I want the payoff now. Don't you? I want to microwave it now. I, I, when I'm watching a series on Netflix and I get to the end of one episode, I can't even wait for the little clock on the bottom right-hand corner of the screen to turn around. I gotta click it. I gotta click it now. I gotta see what happens to members of Flight 828 on Manifest. I gotta see exactly what happened. We don't like to wait. So here's the, here, here's the truth from this story and the truth for me and you. Between the promise and the payoff is the process. And the process is actually the point. God makes a promise 
to us, to his people. I'm going to deliver you from Pharaoh. And then all they wanted was get us out of here. All we want is the, the wedding, the job, the scholarship, the degree, the healing, the house, the car, the job offer, the, the, the salary increase. We want the payoff because all we can think of is, well, God, you promised me, but we all know there is a long stretch, a lot of real estate between the promise and the payoff. That is called the process. And you can't skip the process. If you skip the process, you won't ever get the payoff. The process is what I call faith. When I pray God increase my faith, what I'm really asking him to do is put me in situations I can't control where I have to trust you. Give me things I can't mitigate or manage so that I have to lean on you. Give me something so impossible I can't do it so that in humility I have to come to you for it. Case in point, didn't share this in the first gathering, I'll share it right now. 2020, so I, I have two jobs. I'm a pastor uh, at New Spring, but I'm also a founder of a nonprofit with my wife called Crossroads. We do summer camps and student conferences and lots and lots of other things. 2020, what a year. We lost 100% of our income in 2020. All mission trips, study tours, camps, conferences, and events canceled because of COVID. 100% of our budget for the year, all of our income vanished, vaporized, gone. And there was one day early in the morning, I wake up early, sitting in my office in the dark in my recliner trying to go back to sleep and I could not go back to sleep because I'm worrying, panicking, frustrated. My mental health was starting to really get frazzled and I'm like, God, what am I gonna do? What, what am I gonna do? My job as president is to take care of my employees. What am I gonna do? Summer camp is canceled. That's 6,000 kids that aren't gonna get to hear the gospel. What am I gonna do? And I'm sitting in my office at 4.30 in the morning. My heart rate is up. I'm, I'm, I'm getting sweaty palms. I'm freaking out. I'm getting hysterical. And you know what my father said to me? My heavenly father said to me, you aren't gonna do anything. I'm gonna do it. So if you wanna do something, trust me and trust the process. I wrote it down, wrote it down. Some of y'all think God doesn't speak like that. Hey, you missing out. He may not speak to you like that, but he speaks to me like that occasionally, and when he does, I know it. I have to trust the process. I can't skip it. That process is where we grow. That process is where we learn to trust. That process is where we embrace humility. That process is where we come face to face with our own weakness, our own brokenness, our own inability to get it right. And we see that Jesus got it right on our behalf. Uh, my sinfulness becomes so clear to me. Jesus' sinlessness becomes more clear to me. In between the promise, what promise has God made you? What has he told you? What has he spoken to you through his word or through his Holy Spirit? If you haven't received it yet, don't quit. Don't stop. You're in the process. The process is happening. It's working even when I don't see it. Even when I don't feel it. He never stops. He's always at work. I'm aware of a few times in my life 
that God has literally saved my physical life. I'm not aware of all of them. I'm just aware of a few of them. When I get to heaven, I, I have already played this scenario out in my head. I don't know if it's gonna work this way, but I, I just see myself walking up to Jesus one day and going, Lord, I know you're not busy because this is heaven and there's no such thing as time here. I've got nothing but eternity on my hands. So if you're not busy for the next couple of thousand years, could we just sit down and I'll let you make the coffee because I'm sure it's really good. And I want you to show me all the things that were going on in the background of my life that I never knew about. I want you to show me why in your grace and mercy you did not give me what I prayed for. I mean, I, I know why you didn't give me that Corvette Stingray because I would have wrapped it around a tree at 15. I know why you didn't let, let me marry that girl at 21 because she was not the right one for me. And I know why, I know some things, but would you just show me, can you just imagine for a minute the, the lifelong process you've been through to get you here and God has been superintending every little thing in that process. It's not over. The payoff is coming. And it won't be a payoff. Listen, if you think the payoff is when you get your little bitty tiny prayer answered, you're missing the point. The payoff is not your team wins a national championship. The payoff is not Chapel Hill or Duke or, or NC State or, or like even for me, the payoff is not that the Dallas Cowboys are gonna crush the Carolina Panthers today. I'm prophesying in Jesus' name. I'm speaking it into existence. Come on, somebody. You gotta give me hope. We've, we've been terrible for 25 years. We've won two games in a row. Let me live in denial, okay? The payoff is not the small little thing. The payoff is that one day we'll see Jesus and he'll be enough. That's the payoff. Now let's go to Exodus 15 and let's see what happens after the payoff comes. Because God made a promise, the process was 400 years. What was God's ultimate goal? It was to give a Messiah to the world through the nation of Israel. That's the ultimate plan, for the Messiah to be born from a woman and die on the cross to save us from our sins. So when the payoff, the momentary payoff comes and they are delivered through the Red Sea, what do they do? They worship. Exodus 15, beginning in verse one. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. He threw Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. The elite of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Your right hand shattered the enemy. You overthrew your adversaries by your great majesty. You unleashed your burning wrath and it consumed them like stubble. The water is heaped up at the blast of your nostrils. The current stood firm like a dam. The watery depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will, devo I will divide the spoil 
My desire will be gratified at their expense. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. But you, God, you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders, You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. With your faithful love, you will lead the people. You have redeemed. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. You know what they did? When they sang this song of praise, they glorified God. They put God at the highest place. They placed God on the pedestal and they heaped praises on him. I wanna make sure you write this down. I didn't come up with this. I read this in college from Pastor John Piper and it changed my life and that's not an exaggeration. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in your life and my life when we find our greatest satisfaction not in money, not in success, not in achievements, not in relationships. God is most glorified in your life and my life when we are most satisfied in God, when we say with our lives, God is everything, God's enough for me. God's enough for me. So when we worship God, when we glorify God, we show the world there's a better way to live. Hey, I'm telling you, the pandemic, I'm just gonna speak, I'm just speak honestly with you. The pandemic has given me a zeal and a boldness for evangelism now that I haven't had since I was a teenager. Because I've lost three good friends to COVID. Three. One of them was a 51-year-old ultra marathon runner. Never been sick a day in his life. Got COVID, went in the hospital, never came out. And so what I'm doing now, because I feel like so many people have been thinking about death, I want to be more bold now than I've ever been to let people know You don't have to fear the unknown. You should be careful. You should be cautious. But the worst thing that could ever happen to you is not that you die, because you're gonna die. Sorry to break the news to you in case you don't have a crystal ball. Neither do I, but I got common sense. We all gonna die. I don't wanna think about it any more than you do, but it's coming. Where will you go after that? Because everybody lives forever somewhere. And so when we show the world the hope of the gospel, we glorify God. To glorify literally means just to add worth to, value to, or to shine light upon. When God delivered Israel through the Red Sea, he is shining light upon his power. The world did not know who God was at that time. Egypt did not know who God was at that time. As a matter of fact, when you read the whole book of Exodus, it's one big showdown between Pharaoh and the false gods of Egypt and the God of Israel. Oh, and by the way, did you realize that when Israel went to the Red Sea that day, they had one weapon? One. Egypt has horses, chariots, elite soldiers. They've got hundreds and hundreds of arsenals that they can use to try to capture or kill Israel. Israel had one weapon, their weakness. And I wanna show you that in this passage, we can learn something about our lives. We can learn if our weakness won't go away, 
then we need to put it to work. And your weakness is not gonna go away. You're weak. I'm weak. It's not gonna go away. So put it to work. I hate to even use this phrase because of our cultural understanding of it, but I mean this in, in, in in a kingdom of God upside down kind of way. We need to weaponize our weakness against the enemy. And the enemy is not Democrats or Republicans, anti-vaxxers, pro-vaxxers, anti-mask, pro-mask. It's not Biden or Trump. We do not wrestle against principality. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But our enemy is the devil. And so we wrestle against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. You are not my enemy even if we disagree. We can disagree. That's okay. I disagree with myself every day. We need to weaponize our weakness. What do I mean by that? Okay, here's what I mean by that. Israel is so out of their depth depth chart, way above their pay grade. What can they do except say, okay, God, if you don't intervene, we're all done. That is exactly where our weakness needs to take us. God, I don't have an answer for this. I can't fix this. I pride myself on being a problem solver, but you know what? You get a cancer diagnosis and... That's probably out of your uh, area of expertise. I've seen this in my life over and over and over again when I will bring my weaknesses to God and I'll just say to God, I know I can't do this. You have to do it for me. That is when God does his best work. My weakness is his way to work in me and through me. Your weakness is God's way to work in you And through you, can I tell you, even as a pastor, this is my 35th year in ministry, you know the number one way that I connect with audiences, it's not humor, I'm really not that funny, I'm just kind of goofy sometimes. I'm I'm really, I don't have great preacher jokes, I mean, I've got preacher jokes, but the only people who think they're funny are other preachers. (laughs) Like, my way to connect with people, it's, it's honestly to just stand up in front of a crowd, whether I'm at my own church or somewhere else, and just tell people, my weaknesses, that I've struggled with anxiety, that I've struggled with depression. I was depressed for years one time. Couldn't figure it out, couldn't fix it, had to, had to walk through it, had to get through that Red Sea. To tell people I'm impatient, I get angry, I'm adopted, never met my birth parents, just found out who they were two years after my dad died. Like, I, I've, I've got some weaknesses. So you know what I do? I show my scars to tell my story. So I want you to weaponize your weakness against the devil. Weaponize it. When the devil tells you, you're not good enough, say, you're right, but Jesus is. So shut up. You don't have what it takes, Clayton. You're doggone right I don't have what it takes, but I got Jesus and he's got me, so put that in your pie hole, devil. Just take it somewhere else. You'll, you'll never amount to much of anything. You're probably gonna fail. Yeah, you know what? I might fail. I might fail. What if? What if you fail? What if you go broke? What if you lose your job? What if your kids walk away from church? What if, what, what if things don't work out the way you planned? What if you get that diagnosis? 
What if you never get better? What if the, the business doesn't sell? What if, what if, what if? When the devil comes at you, when the enemy is pursuing you like Pharaoh pursued Israel, you can know that the same God who was faithful in the past and sent his angel to blow those waters back up against the sides to the left and the right and let Israel cross it on dry ground so that their feet didn't even get muddy, you can know for a fact that that same God who was faithful in the past is gonna deliver you in the future. And here it is, in Christ, in Christ, I can and you can answer every what if with even if. Look at the hair on my arms. You see that? You see the hair on my arms standing up right now? That's the Holy Ghost. Some people call him the Holy Spirit. I get fired up calling the Holy Ghost. That's the Pentecostal in me coming out. Listen, what if something bad happens, even if it does? My God is faithful. My God will deliver me. My God has the final say. And Satan, you can yap, yap, yap like a little dog on a leash. But you will not steal God's glory out of my life. Because with, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I'll praise him. As long as I have life in my body, I'll worship him. As long as I can move, as long as I can think or speak, I will glorify my God. So bring on every what if. Bring them on. They're coming anyway. Every single what if. Did anybody think in 2019, which by the way was the best year of my life, did anybody think in 2019 that 2020 was gonna pour into 2021? And hey, I'm praying the pandemic goes away. I prayed that six weeks after we were all told it was gonna be fine. We're 18 months into this bad boy. What if the pandemic doesn't go away and we gotta live with it for a long time? Even if. Even if. I'll keep gathering with God's people. I'll put on a hazmat suit if I have to. I'll keep gathering with God's people. I'll keep tithing. If my, if my pay is cut in half, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tithe half, I'm gonna tithe that, plus some. What if? What if it gets harder and harder to live for Jesus in America? What if we lose our nonprofit status? What if, even if, may it be said of me that I did not forsake my God. You can, because of Christ, you can answer every single what if with even if. I think we need to respond right now. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. Open your hearts. I just really wanna give you an opportunity right now to trust Christ. If you're a Christian, trust him again. Not get saved again, just trust him for that next thing. Trust him for that thing that you're praying about, that thing you're struggling with. Trust him again. Maybe you have a big what if in your life right now. And you need to say, even if it all falls apart, God is faithful. He'll deliver me. It may not be in my time or the way I prayed it, but I'm gonna trust him. With your eyes closed and your hearts open, I also wanna give this invitation. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you don't know if you're truly saved. You don't know if you will spend eternity in heaven or in hell. You can know that today. You can nail it down today. You can invite Jesus into your life today. You can be saved right here, right now, today, if you will ask. So if you wanna nail down this simple truth, you want to give your life to Jesus fully, 
and totally. I'm gonna invite you to pray to him right now. He's listening and he'll save you if you invite him in. So pray this to him right now in your heart. Jesus, I need you. Please save me right now. I repent of my sin. I give you my life. I give you my shame, my past, my regrets, my fears, my anxiety. I give you everything, Jesus. I'm all yours and I'm all in. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. I want you to take 10 seconds with your eyes closed and your hearts open, every campus, all our locations. And if you just pray that prayer to Jesus, take 10 seconds, tell him how much you appreciate him saving you right here today. Now with your eyes closed and your heart still open, before we sing, we're gonna worship in a moment, but I wanna ask this question before we move or before we even open our eyes. In this room, which is the only one I can see, if you just prayed to receive Christ, if you prayed that prayer to him and you meant what you said, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold. I'm not gonna point you out. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I just wanna see it to stir faith. If you just prayed to receive Christ by faith and you invite, invited Jesus to save you for real, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand straight up above your head right now. And I want you to keep it up for just a minute to give me time to scan the room and then I'll let you put it back down in just a minute. Balcony and floor, I want you to put your hand up if you just prayed to receive Christ. Keep them up, please. I'm gonna count. I'm not gonna point you out, but I am gonna count so that we can celebrate. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31. Praise God. You can put your hands down. Everybody open your eyes and look at me for a minute. Thirty-one people just in this room at this campus just put their faith in Jesus Christ. Congratulations, you have taken your first step in a brand new relationship. And this is a church that wants to help you get discipled, be baptized, walk in obedience. So we celebrate that and I'm excited about your new journey of faith. I'm gonna pray. I wanna say thank you for having me back, New Hope. Always good to be here among my people with one of my very best friends, Pastor Benji. And, and hey, um, I, this <laughs> occurred to me while I was preaching. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so I wanna say this uh, to every campus, to Pastor Benji, you're a great pastor and a true shepherd. I honor you, I appreciate you. New Hope is blessed to have you leading this flock. I love you, Pastor Benji. I appreciate you. Thank you.